Welcome to a special bonus mailbag episode of Tales from the Waystone. We are your hosts, Will and Phoenix. Let's get into it. Welcome to a special mailbag episode of Tales from the Waystone. We're coming to you live from my parents' back porch in sunny Seattle, Washington. We apologize for any road noise and or lawnmowers that you may hear in the background. The perils of doing this on a deck outdoors. Oh well, it's nice. It's relaxed. It's cool. And it's early. Yeah. People are out mowing their lawn before it gets too hot, so I guess we can't complain too much about that. We can, but that's the end of it. Anyway, so on this special episode, we're taking questions from you, our listeners and friends on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and Patreon, and giving some answers to those. And we're also going to be asking some questions of my family, who have graciously agreed to be interview subjects. So... Let's go ahead and get started, shall we? We shall. No long drawn out explanation of what has to happen in the pod, no disclaimers and nothing. So our first block of questions comes from Kyle Fox, who is one of our patrons on Patreon. And he starts off with, what is your favorite con memory? Oh, so I think it has to be our first packs. So it's not necessarily the fact that it was at the con, but it is related to the con. What kind of happened was Will was wanting to go to PAX, and a bunch of our friends were also going to be going to PAX that year. It was 2010. And despite the fact that he lived in or near Seattle, he wanted to get a hotel room, which would kind of require splitting a hotel room cost because, oh my God, buckets that was an expensive hotel room con season they make bank <laughs> and so he asked all of our buddies from Spokane and they'd already kind of paired up and then he started looking around and I was living in Medford Oregon at the time with a couple of our other buddies who are never online and he was asking to see if I could get a hold of them to see if they were going to go to PAX and I tried to explain that they were probably asleep because they worked overnights. And you're like, well, are you going to PAX? You should go to PAX. You should definitely go to PAX. And this was the probably last year that you could order tickets more than five minutes after they went on sale. And so my response was, I'd love to. I'd really love to. I have no money. None. There's no money. I'm No, there's none. You should go to PAX. What do you not understand about I have no funds? I can't do that. That's not a thing. No. No, but you should go to PAX. And I'm like, I want to go. To, I, I want to go. To, okay. 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 I want to go to PAX. And I got my tickets. And then you're like, cool. Do you need to split a hotel room? Yeah, that was uh, perhaps unartful of me, but... You know, over all of this, that led to us really becoming closest friends. Because we were very, very set that neither one of us wanted a relationship. We had both just gotten out of relationships and were not really on the market, so to speak. But the two of us 
became friends. We started talking online a lot. Mostly, I really needed to know who this guy was that was, you know, a tangential friend of a friend and just make sure that when I shared a hotel room with him that that was gonna be fine and safe. And I was just happy that there was someone who wanted to talk to me, so. That period of time may come up again in this episode. But yeah, that was a very fun PAX. I remember us sitting in the top balcony of the Benaroya Hall watching Jonathan Colton and Paul and Storm in concert, and that was just so much fun. Like, the two of us were positively giddy with the, the energy from that show. And by that point, we were dating. That's true. I just have very fond memories of that PAX, and that was just so much fun with all of our friends and we got to explore so much and do so much. It was great. I mean, runner-ups for me are when a game that I worked on at DigiPen was featured at the DigiPen booth, and I got to see people play my game and look at some of the art that I'd made and look at some of the design decisions that my buddies and I had made. And it was a lot of fun to just have something that I had worked on bring joy to other people. We ought to post a link to that game if people want to try it out. We should try to find a link to that game to see if it's still up on the DigiPen Gallery. I found it actually a couple months ago. You did? Why did you do that? Oh, I just remembered like that there were games on the game gallery and I was just out of curiosity like, oh, I'm curious what's on there still, if Temple of the Water God's still on. <laughs> sure enough, it is. Uh, so is Penguin Playground, I believe. Oh, okay. We'll post links to those in the description. Or more accurately, we'll post links to those when I post this on Patreon. It'll be public. You can go look and see about the links, and I'll probably populate it to Twitter as well. Yeah, it's good fun. Both of those are, are pretty excellent games, and... Don't say excellent. They're not excellent. They're good for student games. Given the time and budgetary constraints available, yes. Thank you for the compliment, though. So one of my favorite con memories was when we took our first trip down to the Rose City Comic Con. We both got gussied up in our finest attire and took the train from Seattle to Portland. I remember just really enjoying ourselves, exploring, you know, a smaller convention experience. Kind of sort of cosplaying for the first time. Yep. We had our glow cloud that we had constructed, more accurately that Phoenix had constructed, <laughs> that I carried around the convention. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. I might even post pictures of the glow cloud on our Patreon as well. All hail the glow cloud. All hail. Yes, that was a really fun convention for us. I remember we got to see John Barrowman at that one. Yeah, that was funny. Was that the one where we got to see Gates McFadden and Marina Sirtis and Michael Dorn was at the next year? That was one of them, and then we also had that experience at an Emerald City Comic Con. Right. But moving on, so there's a lot of questions. All right, next. What is a dream convention that you'd like to go to? Oh, Gen Con would be fun. Yeah, I'd love to do Gen Con. I got a lot of friends who do it as exhibitors. I'd love to have a chance to go see, and also friends that I haven't seen in a long time that go as attendees every year. Yeah, I think that's the answer. 
All right, best convention purchase. Okay, my favorite convention purchase was actually not for me. Our friend Izzy was actually working at PAX this particular year, and she and I kind of knew each other's styles and what we liked, and she really, really loves, like, octopuses and squid and, and things and, and, like, hats that have tentacles and Cthulhu-esque things. And I passed by the Tentacle Kitty booth, and they have these tiny little tentacle kitties. And so I picked one up for Will, and I picked one up for Izzy, and I went to the room where Izzy was working with a board game distributor, and I just was like holding it up to her and she just went ah! and squeed and the look on her face as she comes over and hugs me and I gave it to her and she's like, really, 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 is this mine? It was so, so cute, I loved it. Yeah, Izzy's a wonderful person and it's always fun to give gifts to her because she always really appreciates them. I remember also, didn't we get her a Mabari battle dog from we, Dragon Age? We did. Yeah, because she's a huge fan of Bioware games, and she's got her own giant pit bull Great Dane mix called Rex, <laughs> spelled like Erdnot Rex <laughs> from Mass Effect. So she absolutely loved that one too. I absolutely love her reactions. All right, time for me to ask a question. Specifically for Will, by the time that this is recorded, the Euro Cup will be over. Did it turn out how you wanted, and who do you support? Okay, so actually as we were recording this, the final starts at noon, which is between Italy and England. So that hasn't happened yet. Really, in this case, I have not had a really strong rooting interest in any one single team. There are multiple teams that I've enjoyed, and really what I've been looking forward to are interesting games where a lot of fun things happen. I've been a big fan of the Danish team, Danish national team, for a couple reasons. One, Christian Eriksen plays for them, who's one of my favorite players, period, especially since his time at Tottenham. And Denmark had a gut punch of a first game where Christian Eriksen collapsed with a heart attack on field in the middle of the game, and it had to be paused. And you know, like his teammates were able to revive him and resuscitate him his teammates performed CPR until the medical crew could get a defibrillator out to fully bring him back. Wow. That was just such a gut punch that they suffered. I mean, he is one of the best players in Europe, and to have him go down like that was a major blow, and everyone was scared for him. You know, he's a well-loved figure within the squad. So they went on a bit of a winning streak for him sort of a win it for Chris sort of thing. And I absolutely loved watching that happen. Yeah, they ended up falling to England in the semifinal, but they went way further than anybody had expected. I enjoy the English national team and they've got a lot of charismatic players. I love Harry Kane. So that's obviously a win. And Italy's been fun to watch. So really, so long as we get something more than a nil-nil draw for 120 minutes that then goes to penalties, I'm just rooting against that really more than anything else. I want something exciting. And this year has delivered that. All right, next question. What are some of your favorite board games? So I've got a couple. First one that I absolutely love is Gravwell. It's a simple game to set up with a surprising amount of depth. It's all about gravity mechanics and movement. 
I don't normally like race games, but I enjoy this one just because it's quick to set up and quick to go play. I love Ticket to Ride because I love trains. <laughs> and I love uh, unleashing my inner rail baron. I also enjoy cooperative board games. So I've been a big fan of Betrayal at House on the Hill, as well as the Pandemic games, especially the Legacy Editions, which have been a great way to add interesting wrinkles every time you play. How about you? My absolute favorite is Seven Wonders. On a side note, I also really like Sushi Go, because despite the fact that Seven Wonders seems like it's this massively complicated, I don't know how to get into it, lots of barrier to entry game, Sushi Go is the exact same mechanic, pared down a little bit, and much easier to convince a whole table to play. I agree. Sushi Go is, I think, probably actually a more elegant implementation of the mechanic. I agree. So I like drafting games. I also like kind of the Dominion style games. So those are really the things that float my goat. But also... Float your goat? <laughs> I'm, keep it. <laughs> you've never heard that? No, I, well, I've heard float your boat, but not float your goat. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> but also, I really like Takedo. Takedo is just this lovely zen experience of just taking a trip along a road with people that aren't really companions, but that you see and are friendly with. And you're going shopping and you're going and stopping and praying at temple. You're going to see monkeys at the hot springs it's lovely and contemplative and you can get cutthroat and ruthless with the right group of people but i think it's more gentle than that so the vibe i get off of takaido is when i was traveling in germany after my senior year of college so one of the things that happens is as you're staying in a hostel and traveling about the city and the surrounding region, you start to see the same people, places, and you strike up conversations. You hang out in the bar after the day's done, and they kind of become sort of like this weird little transient friend group. Like suddenly you're best friends for this one period of time. And like I fell in with a group of Australians and we became fast friends. And just for that period of about a week or so, we were besties and then we drifted off on our respective destinations and moved on. But I still remember that really fondly. And it has that kind of feeling. You know, everyone's kind of coming from different places, mingling together and becoming very close in a very short amount of time and then drifting apart. You know, there's no animosity. It's just you're moving on to different parts of the world and you enjoy it while it lasts. It has that feel to it. I agree. Most overrated or underappreciated board game? Mm. This is going to be a controversial one. This may count as a hot take, but I think that the game of Monopoly is simultaneously over and underrated. I was going to choose Monopoly as well. I have a lot of problems with it. So, first of all, if you play the game as designed, it is not actually that long. No one plays it as designed. Everyone house rules it because the rules are so complicated as it is. 
So people start filing the edges off and you have essentially folk rules in every house and almost uniformly it makes the game terrible. It goes on over long, it's just relentlessly boring to the point where the only way to truly win at Monopoly is to be the first to actually lose at Monopoly and thus stop playing Monopoly. Unless you're playing with your sister. Yeah, I'll talk about that. <laughs> So when my sister and I were kids, you know, we were playing Monopoly Junior, and Anna always wanted to be Miss Banker. And Miss Banker was a socialist, and she would not let you fail. She would continually just give you money if you ever were in danger of going bankrupt. And so you just kept going around and around the board endlessly in this loop of tedium. And eventually I'm like, Anna, I don't want to play anymore. I don't want any more money. I don't want any of this. I just want to stop, make it end. I'm not saying that Monopoly is my favorite game. I'm not saying that I even enjoy Monopoly, but I do think that its reputation as a bad game is overstated. And I also think that its popularity is perhaps unjustified. It really ought to be considered just, it's okay. So my answer to this is going to be a little controversial, and it's not necessarily that I think it's overrated, it's just that I think it was really the first Euro game to come to the United States and get popular. But Settlers of Catan has that kind of drag-on forever problem. Like, there's no real, like, end to it. Kind of the way that Risk just takes forever. And by the time that you've lost interest in the game, you don't care what the outcome is, which I think is a disservice to both games because I think that they have good mechanics and good ideas. But my God, just the drag out is a problem. I also have a little bit of a vendetta against Settlers of Catan because I had to do papers on it. Oh, that just takes all the joy out of it. <laughs> yeah. Overthinking any game can kill it for you. Yeah. Anyway, next question. All right, so here's one for you. Can you overlook bad theme for a great mechanic? I can usually find great mechanic in a different game with a better theme. <laughs> Mechanics are not stuck with a theme. If you don't like the theme of a game, I think it's fine. Like. Maybe somebody doesn't like trains and they don't want to play Ticket to Ride. But I'm sure that there are other games that they could go to that had a theme that used the same mechanics that they'd like better. I kind of think of Pandemic has gotten harder to play gestures vaguely at Surrounding World just because it's a little too fresh. However, I can go play Samurai Spirit, which takes the same sort of mechanics and applies them to The Seven Samurai, which is one of my favorite films of all time. And I can get behind that. Right. For me, again, with Seven Wonders and Sushi Go, it's hard for me to convince people to play Seven Wonders with me. It is not hard to convince people to play Sushi Go with me. They're essentially the same mechanic, but with different theming around them. I think also because there are fewer game bits in Sushi Go, it's a lot less intimidating. 
I'll also say that sometimes certain themes are less accessible to certain audiences. Right, like you're not going to get as many non-Marvel fans to play what is essentially Dominion, but is a Marvel-themed Dominion. I don't remember the name of the, the game that we played. If you hear barking, that's Maggie. She's excitable and there's a baby around. Maggie's jelly. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'd say that you can make a mechanic fit nearly any theme. And I think that that's great if we make more games with different theming so that people who wouldn't necessarily like one thing will still enjoy themselves playing with that same mechanic. I'll also say that some themes haven't aged well. So for instance, like Puerto Rico is all about colonialism, which has you playing as a colonial power, building wealth by exploiting native populations. And honestly, that theme didn't sit well with me when I first saw the game and still doesn't to this day. So I'm fine not playing it. I'm fine not playing it because that also falls into the category of I had to write a paper on it. Well, yes. But I mean, that's an example of a theme where, yeah, even if the mechanics of the game are good, I don't enjoy the theme and the theme actually gets in the way of me enjoying the mechanic. All right, moving on. Let's talk about comics here. What's a series that's been on your to read list for too long? That's hard because I haven't really been aware of new things lately. Neighbors are finding new and interesting ways to be noisy. I think that's an RC car. Or an electric screwdriver. Things that have been on my to-read list too long. Finishing series is actually my deal that is probably going to be the thing I'll answer for this rather than like a new series. Lock and Key, I'm in the middle of. The Umbrella Academy, I'm in the middle of. I have owned but not read the last Paper Girls for a while now. There are some that I want to read that haven't been written yet because the author took a break, The Wizard of Oz from Marvel. That's pretty much how that goes for me. Oh, also the Avatar The Last Airbender comics. So for me, it's, I haven't finished Saga. I need to do that. I also haven't finished Saga. I haven't finished Sandman. Yeah. These are all things that I need to do. These are series I love. I just haven't gotten around to it for a variety of reasons. Mostly just because I find that I think I enjoy reading regular novels more in my pre-bedtime period. And so graphic novels tend to fall by the wayside and I don't really get a lot of daytime reading. So that's just me. Are there any series you recommend? Yeah, I strongly recommend pretty much anything by Brian K. Vaughn. He's one of my favorite authors. So I've loved Saga. I've loved Why the Last Man. I've loved Paper Girls. You know, all of these are great. He's funny, he's insightful. His characters clash in amusing and interesting ways. They're all 
deeply flawed people the way all people are. He's really good at writing humans that don't always fit together nicely, but also end up finding ways to work together and create sort of a found family. Now that's a recurring theme that you see throughout his work and it's quite beautiful once it comes together. Okay, so I'm just gonna recommend all of the things that I'm in the middle of that I already listed off. <laughs> all right. But, oh, I hate Fairyland. Absolutely, if you like kind of twisted, cute things, because that is my vibe. I love twisted, cute things. Anything with Scotty Young's art, really. But especially, I hate Fairyland. That's a delightful one. That and Gwynpool. What's an author or artist that you always need to get? Scotty Young. Absolutely Scotty Young. For me, it's lately become N.K. Jemison. Yes. I have really gotten into the Broken Earth trilogy. We also just finished up The City We Became. Those are fantastic. So now I need to finish up Broken Earth. I'm midway through the book too and just really enjoying that a lot. She also did Green Lantern Far Sector. Ooh. which I'm really interested in. I've always loved the Tales of the Green Lantern Corps. They're some of my favorite classic comic books. And so to hear her take on that, so exciting. Do you read comics digitally or need a hard copy? You know, I read them both ways. I think I prefer the hard copy experience a little more. I think it's easier to actually get the full scope of text and picture. It's always a little weird getting that translated into digital, even though it's better than it used to be. I think physical is my preference. Physical is also my preference. I need to get the Sandman in physical copies. I have that one digitally. I think that might also be why I haven't finished Saga. I have all of Saga on Comixology and I have a hard time, even though I'm always on my tablet, just opening the app and reading it. I always forget that I have these things available for me to read. I think I'm more likely to finish a physical copy than a digital. This one's a little bittersweet for both of us, I think. Favorite comic shop? Yeah, so for many years, the comic stop in Redmond was my go-to place. I had a long box there for subscriptions where I got every new issue of Green Lantern, Batman, Avengers, New Avengers, all of that fun stuff. It was a great place. You know, I knew the people who ran it, they fell on hard times. The rent got to be too much in their existing location. And then just before they were about to move out, they got robbed and a whole bunch of their inventory was stolen and they lost a bunch of money. It was really tragic that that happened. And they ended up you know, having to retreat up to Woodenville, which is a lot more remote. And also probably a lot sleepier and not as appealing to nerds. Yeah, I'll also throw in Alter Ego in Crossroads in Bellevue was one of our favorites. Also fell victim to rent hikes. Yeah, Crossroads had been one of our go-to places. It's been kind of nerd mall for many years. Between Alter Ego and Uncle's Games and Half Price Books, plus the vintage video game store outside, you had all the makings of a wonderful gathering place. They had a great little international food court with restaurants from all over the world. It was a great spot. Unfortunately, the 
rising rents from the property management company began to price out a lot of these places that made that location truly special. And, you know, it's now kind of a shell of its former self. Yeah, all it's really got left is the Michaels and the Joannes and the Bed Bath & Beyond. And the ramen joint. And the ramen joint. The ramen joint is very good, which segues us into since we're up here visiting family, what are some of our must-dos while we're home? So, I'd say must-do absolutely is get poke, which we did. <laughs> yeah, we were just driving through traffic in Tacoma and going, I want poke, I want my poke, I want my poke bowl, I want my poke. Because despite the fact that it kind of exists where we are, we haven't really felt connected to any of the places like none of them have the style of poke we want and it's also been a little bit tougher for me to want to eat raw fish during a time when you didn't know if the people who were preparing your food were potentially sick so my anxiety got in the way of us even trying so there's that but also just seeing my friend Kim was really important to me we're gonna be seeing her tomorrow. And she and I have been really good friends since we were like 17. So like half our, no more than half our life because I'm old, holy buckets. So for over 20 years, we've been really, really good friends. And she and I have been really close. We can drift apart for a while and go and live our own lives and then come back and it's just like nothing has changed. And I really, really miss her. I haven't seen her for a couple of years. Also, you finally get to meet her husband, Mo. That's right. Looking forward to that. <laughs> Lightning round. Salty or sweet snacks? Both. Yeah, I like both of them at the same time. Yep, that sweet and savory combo as I've grown has gotten to be like catnip for me. Peanut butter pretzels. Yep. Red or black licorice and why is black the best? Uh, um... Kyle, you're wrong. Red is better, period. Yeah. Biggest pet peeve? I think people demanding perfection of others when they can't deliver it themselves. I think people telling me how I feel. I hate that one too. Most controversial hot take. By the way, this also has a note that says Kyle thinks that all Star Wars movies are trash. Like all of them. So here's my controversial hot take. There are very few truly bad movies. like. The amount of skill and dedication and work that it takes to make even a mediocre film that gets shown in the theaters is astronomical. The truly bad movies are the ones that are so bad that nobody will ever watch them. Even Ed Wood had to juggle all kinds of logistical challenges just to make Plan 9 from Outer Space, which is widely reviled. And it's a terrible movie, but it's actually something that required a lot of work and effort and creativity to make that most people could never do. So I think even the worst Hollywood director is still better than all of the legions of critics who say that they're terrible. All right, and with that, we're gonna move on to a different questioner. Yep. Manopano on Twitter asks, do you two ever plan on vacationing in New York City? It's a selfish question, apparently. So, I have been to New York exactly once for my infamous New York sadcation. So if you haven't heard me describe this, 
allow me to paint a picture for you. It is about 6 p.m. in May on a beautiful New York afternoon, and I am sitting in my hotel room in the Hampton Inn in the financial district, watching reruns of Seinfeld and Everybody Loves Raymond on TBS. So originally I had intended to take a trip to the East Coast for a friend's wedding in DC. My then girlfriend at the time and I had planned to start in New York and then take either a train or rent a car and go down to DC for the wedding after our New York jaunt. Unfortunately, about two months before I was scheduled to fly out, the two of us broke up. It was painful, it was sad, and there's no ultimate hard feelings over this. But at the time I was in kind of a raw place. I was not feeling very gregarious or outgoing. And, you know, I dealt with issues where like my bank was suddenly like, hey, why is this person spending money in New York? They live in Seattle. We better just turn that card off. So I couldn't go anywhere until I dealt with the bank to get them to unlock my accounts. And I was just feeling incredibly alone in one of the most crowded and populous cities in the United States. Tell them about your trip on the subway. Oh yes, I decided that it would be fun to travel as the locals do using the subway. So unfortunately, because I was not yet familiar with the vagaries of track construction and all of that, my train got rerouted. I was not able to get to the Museum of Natural History the way I had hoped. I ended up getting off the subway in Harlem feeling incredibly sick to my stomach and I needed to use the restroom. And it's just pure scatology coming on from there. I don't know that we need to discuss it in too much depth. No, but I'm sure that now she understands how wonderful your one and only trip so far to New York has been. That being said, that was also a trip where we had just started texting back and forth. And I'm glad that I was at least able to give you some reason to be okay on that trip? Yeah, I remember that as I was sitting in my hotel room crying while watching Everybody Loves Raymond, I was also chatting with you and we were getting to know one another and that's really a large part of what cemented our friendship and turned it from just something of convenience for the two of us into something deeper. And that's when I started thinking of you not just as an acquaintance, but a true friend and one of my best friends. Is that also where you charmed me with saying if wishes were horses, the world would be covered in horse shirt? Yes, I believe that is. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing that made me laugh and think that you were charming and funny and cute. Yeah, it was uh, definitely a time where I was in a lot of transition. So now as to whether we plan to, I wouldn't say we plan, we, we haven't planned really much of anything at this point. There's still so much up in the air and I don't know that either of us are really feeling a whole lot of safety around recreational travel. Yeah. Outside of you know pure necessity. That's about it. But I wouldn't ever say we won't ever do it. Yeah, same here. Do we notice owls and hearts and keys and bees everywhere? I mean, I notice them separately, but not necessarily together. And I also notice them not necessarily in the way of like the book that we read. It's more like squirrel or hummingbird if we're here because there have been hummingbirds 
fall around us. I mean, I've thought owls were cool for a long time. All right, next question. Bast or Davy? Why not both? Agreed. What's your favorite poem or song from the Kingkiller Chronicles and why? Mine is probably the wind turning leaf, both playing by himself in the woods with his father's lute, learning to adapt as the strings break. It's just, it's, it's visceral. And while I like a lot of the poems and the songs that have lyrics and words, that one just is so much more connected to nature and to the inner self and to his grief. What does Reshi mean? Loved one. I'm going to say loved one. What do you think it means? I think it means teacher. Okay. How are the cats? So last we heard, they seem to be doing quite well. My friend and coworker is currently taking good care of them. We received a picture last night of Leela just going to town on his beard, <laughs> just licking it like crazy from his shoulder. And I believe his response is, well, this is happening. <laughs> <laughs> so they seem to be taken to it quite well. How's the house search going? Mostly theoretical at this point. Yeah, there's a lot of dominoes that haven't fallen yet that need to fall before we can really get serious about it. Imre or the university? Why not both? I do think that there is that need for a balance of both the mind and the spirit, and you can't have one without the other. Would you rather live with the Adem or the Edimaru? The Edimaru, as Kfoth sees them, because... Both's version is idyllic and not problematic, and I'm not completely sure that he sees them with them, the truth behind them, or the truth of them. But the idea of a nomadic, artistic, acting troupe, the romanticized version of this, it just appeals to me more. Well, I gotta say, I kind of like the idea of a society that lives in silence. Right now, I kind of do. What's your favorite part of the books and why? Two favorite parts of the books. It mostly, like, I love the part where Kvothe is in the woods after his family is killed and he is retreated into himself. It's so gentle and loving and forgiving. It tells everybody that you can feel the grief that you feel and that you can express it in any way that you feel is necessary or right or good. I also like the part that we covered in episode eight with Elodin teaching his class and pretty much mocking Kvothe for chasing after the dandelion fluff. What about you? I always really enjoyed the chase of the bandits through the Eld in Ventus just because it's all about learning how to read the lay of the land around you and how to let go of preconceptions and just see things as they are. thought that was a lot of fun. Plus, there's some exciting action in it and some inventive uses of the magic system. Is there a part you skip? Well, yes. So I skip the part where Kvothe has fire in the library because he's just so, 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 so stupid that it's so, so stupid, so, 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 so stupid. Would it be accurate to say that this is a part you hate? Yes. 
That's a twofer. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? Do you skip any parts? I skip the bits with Felurian, mostly just because I always find it really weird to read a description of sexual acts, just because it feels like you're being let into something that really should be private and it's not for you to know about, like what happens between two people or more people. That's fair. The cringier part for me in that particular book is the man-mother's thing. Oh yeah, that was kind of dumb. Yeah. <laughs> so moving on, the next set comes from the King Killer podcast, uh, some of our friends on Twitter. What are your thoughts on Patrick Rothfuss's world building? Like, I find it on another level how he'll take a literal How the Magic Works lecture and turn it into one of the best chapters in the book. Thoughts on that aspect? So I look at that as there are two aspects of world building. So there's the actual construction of the world itself, and then there is the exposition layer, which is how you convey that information to your audience. I think that the lecture conceit is useful. It is a way to have audience surrogates because your characters are students and they're the ones that the story is told through. So they are learning about it just as the audience is. I think that it's a useful conceit, but it's not necessarily my favorite. I like mostly how we've got basically a two layer magic system that is consisting of both sympathy and naming they're separate schools, but kind of related, kind of not. And they tend to act in opposition to one another because sympathy is all about a rigid believing of things that are not true, that they are true. Whereas naming is all about recognizing things as they actually are, rather than trying to impose your will upon that name. All right. Who is the most realistic character for you? Hmm. I gotta say, probably for me, it's Will and Sim. Like, their friendship makes sense to me. You know, as someone who works in a multinational environment where I have friends from all over the world, the friendship that the two of them have is gentle and it's also relatable. For me, I think it's Fella because having been one of the only ostensible women in a school that is mostly men, she feels so much more like all of the girls that I went to college with in some aspect or another. I think this is true of a lot of people in the STEM field. Yeah. So we already answered what is the hardest part to reread. Seriously, I, I just... I, I keep wanting to chuck the book every time I'm like, and it, the sad part is, is I usually listen on my iPad and I really don't want to chuck my iPad, but every time fire, no, just an idiot. I don't like him being an absolute idiot. Which character are you bringing to the bar? Probably Diok. He knows what's good. Probably Bast. He'd be a lot of fun. To an amusement park. I think Bast. Bast enjoys a good time and is not afraid to uh, do something silly. I think Davy. I think that they're very similar in their characterization, although I think Davy might be a little more curious. 
at least outwardly. I think they're both hedonistic characters, fundamentally. On a family vacation with your family. Let's think about your family. Probably Sim. Yeah, he's such a sweet guy. He's wholesome. He's fun. Yeah, I agree. So this comes from Dylan on the Friends Talking Fantasy podcast, which you should definitely listen to. Listening to those two talk about fantasy feels like me listening to my best friend Ethan and me talk about our favorite books, and it warms my heart to hear them. What do you think will happen to Denna and Kvothe in book three? They're going to break up. Are they actually together? Well, let me put it this way. Every relationship ends in either death or divorce. Fair enough, but I think that in this case, it's probably going to be death just based on how future coat Kvothe talks about Denna. I think it'll be divorce and then death. Okay. What part of the series do you find to be the most emotional for you? I would say that section in the woods after Kvothe's family is killed, where Kvothe is mourning, and it's just pure lyrical emotion. The descriptions, the narrative, the prose, they're all working together to create sort of this fugue state of grief. It works really well at getting us to empathize with this character who is not always the most empathetic, who's not always likable, who's not always someone that you would want to spend time with. It makes you care for him and understand him. From the Broken Binding on Twitter, which character would you like to be best friends with? Probably both Will and Sim. It's always good to know somebody who works at a library. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also good to have two people who are able to act as competing sounding boards to give you an honest read of a situation. And both of them are very good at that. I mean, I would be great friends with both of them. I'm going to choose Fella because as much as I absolutely love Elodin, he's too mercurial. Ari would take a lot of work and I'm not sure. Ari is exhausting. Yeah. I love her as a character, but I don't know that I'd love her as a person. Bast, he and I would probably have a lot of fun playing D&D together. As in, we'd probably have just laugh out loud sexual innuendo up the wazoo <laughs> and just it would be hilarious but I'm not sure that we'd have a very strong emotional bond it wouldn't be the deepest of friendships but it would be a good one but for best friends I think Fella I really do Fella is a good person I think I'd probably get on well with her as well thanks for all of the excellent questions listeners Having answered all of those, we felt like being on the other side, so to speak, so we interviewed my family. Apologies for the ambient dog and or human puttering in the kitchen noises. Headphone warning just in case. All right, and so now we're actually going to ask questions of Will's family. Right now, it's his mom. So would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, I'm Lee. I'm Will's mother. And uh, we're sitting here on our deck enjoying the nice cool breeze and I'm waiting for this trick question. There isn't <laughs> trick questions, it's just we're going to be very nice. Okay. Yeah, so let's start off with an easy one. Would you rather have a puppy-sized elephant or an elephant-sized puppy? <laughs> I'd rather have an elephant-sized puppy. <laughs> so yeah. you want Clifford the Big Red Dog? 
I guess so, although I might walk that back later if I think about it too much. <laughs> so next question, what's your favorite book recommendation? It can be any genre. Hmm, I don't know. I've been reading books on, you know, I've been doing this racial learning class through church, and so we've been reading some different things. And, but I've read a couple of fiction works that I thought were pretty good. The Water Dancer by Tanisha Coates, that was really eye-opening. And then Jody Picoult, I just finished one that she wrote called Great Small Things. And that really took all the points that we've been learning about paying attention to other cultures and what that means. It just really kind of encapsulated them in everyday experiences. And so those two things are the most recent things that I've read. And so they're good. All right. <laughs> you actually put that in there. <laughs> All right. Uh, so answer honestly, do you listen to the podcast? No. <laughs> <laughs> we knew that. <laughs> That's all right. Are you going to listen to this episode? Probably not, because I wouldn't want to hear myself. <laughs> That's perfectly fair. I am weird in the fact that I actually don't mind listening to myself, which mm -hmm. is good because I edit this. Yeah, yeah, that's probably helped you. <laughs> it's okay, I don't listen to it either, so. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't know what I do after we get to the editing portion. <laughs> All right. Did you have any favorite stories while you were growing up? I had a, a book of... I guess you'd call them fairy tales. It was Hans Christian Andersen. And I still have the book. And I've saved it for, I'm saving it for Ava Lee now. But the illustrations in there and just the stories. I'm trying to remember there was the black swan. I think there was also the swan princess. Maybe. I'd really have to go get the book. It seems like there was one with a, some toys, a toy soldier. But anyway, I love the illustrations and just the stories. So hopefully when Avalee is older, right now I think the book would tear up if we <laughs> Avalee is very involved now in turning those pages yourself. I don't think the book could take it. <laughs> well, I remember you sharing that book with us when we were kids too. I probably so. did. I'm sure I did. That's yeah. why I saved it. I'm really glad that Ava Lee will get to enjoy it as well. I so. hope so. All right, let's see. Raspberries or cherries? I like them both. <laughs> Unlike you two, <laughs> I like them both. <laughs> Between the two of us, I guess Phoenix and I constitute a whole person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Are you more of a cat person or a dog person? Dog person. And how do you really feel about our cats? They're nice to visit. I'm glad I don't live with them. <laughs> I mean, that grin said a lot. <laughs> so here's a good one. Do you have any board game recommendations? Well, Anna usually has introduced, she and Rolando have introduced us to games, and 
The one they introduced us to that we played with you all was the Sushi Go. I kind of like that one. Now they have another one that you all would like. It deals with a litter box and clearing out poops. <laughs> I forget what it's called. I mean, we love cats, but there's more to our life than cleaning out poop. <laughs> but this is, this, it is a fun game. <laughs> You all might not enjoy it because you do it all the time. I don't know. Who do you think I take after in the family? I think that there's a lot of grandma in you and your ability to talk to a lot of different people very easily. And that was always something she had no trouble engaging with people. And she was always very friendly and so I think I see that part in you and also I think there's some of dad in you and hopefully there's some of me in you. Oh, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> well I think that that's great. Thank you for sharing. You're welcome. All right so we're gonna wind up asking a couple other questions to other people as soon as we can get their attention. Oh Maggie's not too happy that We've taken her person out of the house. And now we have Will's dad. Would you like to introduce yourself? My name is Tom. I'm Will's dad. All right, so we're going to ask you the first question here, and this may be the hardest question that we'll ask. Would you rather have a puppy-sized elephant or an elephant-sized puppy? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so both. Got it. <laughs> Do you want to know what your wife said? Sure. An elephant-sized puppy. I'm not so sure that I would want an elephant-sized puppy or have to clean up after an elephant-sized puppy, but we like that particular question. I was just picturing what would elephant-sized Maggie really be like? Well, yes. <laughs> Her voice might be a little deeper. All right. So let's start off here with uh, book recommendations. It can be any genre. I have to think about that for a moment. I just finished reading Cast, and that by Isabel Wilkerson. It really is an eye-opening explanation of how our society is structured. It's very sobering. Yeah, it is oftentimes easy to fall into the trap of believing sort of that myth of egalitarianism that everyone has the exact same opportunities in our society when so much of it is determined by the circumstances of our birth. That we didn't do anything to deserve. What were some of your favorite stories while you were growing up? Hmm, that was a long time ago. I think I enjoyed the tales of the Jibberwocky. Man after my own heart. And I liked Aesop's fables. And I really enjoyed myth Greek mythology. Those were the main things. Who does Will take after in the family? His mother and his father and his grandfathers. He's a mix. Would you describe yourself as a cat person or a dog person? A dog person. What do you really think about our cats? They're entertaining from a distance. <laughs> <laughs>
What's your favorite movie? Jeremiah Johnson. <laughs> I knew you'd say that just without no hesitation, just like you had that one ready to go. <laughs> Skin that one, Pilgrim, and I'll fetch you another. <laughs> Do you have any board game recommendations? Sure, I like Monopoly and Sushi Go. Do you prefer cherries or raspberries? Yes. <laughs> I would take cherries. Yay, I win. But I like raspberries also. I think we both win. I'm putting it as a W for both of us here. So answer honestly, do you listen to the podcast? I have listened to some of the early episodes, but have not <laughs> kept up with current. That's fine. I don't listen to any of them, so... <laughs> <laughs> no, you record them. <laughs> yep. Are you going to listen to this episode? Maybe. <laughs> I'll make sure to let you know when it's up. That'll help. <laughs> All right, I think that's about it. Yep. Thank you very, very much. You're welcome. It could have been worse. Oh, yeah. All right, so for this next section here, we're going to be interviewing my sister, Anna, and her daughter, our niece, Eva Lee. All right, so first question. Would you rather have a puppy-sized elephant or an elephant-sized puppy? I would say puppy-sized elephant because it would be easier to care for, and I don't think you would have to feed it as much. And also, there's not room in my house or our yard for an elephant-sized puppy. Your parents chose the opposite. <laughs> Both of them. <laughs> Mom says, I may walk this back when I <laughs> The next question, with the cameo from Maggie over there. What book recommendations do you have? Well, lately I've only been reading board books. And reading is a stretch of the term. It's mostly return pages because there's more than one word per page. Even if there's zero words, it doesn't last very long. But we really enjoy turning pages on the book Everything Grows, which is an illustrated book of the song by Raffi, childhood classic song. That is a favorite in the household. We also like The Very Hungry Caterpillar. It's essentially a oh. metaphor for Ava Lee. Because <laughs> she was still hungry. So those are the books I have read as of late. <laughs> what were some of your favorite stories growing up? I really liked reading the Boxcar Children. Oh, me too. I liked all of the adventures they would go on. And I thought it seemed really cool that they lived in this boxcar. And it just sounded really cool and fun. And I would want to like emulate that myself. But I did think it was very unrealistic. They'd be like, Grandpa, oh, please let me do the dishes for you. I am dying to help with the household chores. I drew the line there. But other than that, I really enjoyed the books and could suspend my disbelief. They always did have the coolest clubhouse. <laughs> All right. Uh, so answer honestly, do you listen to the podcast? No. That's fair. I don't either. <laughs> I don't listen to a lot of things. <laughs> do you have time to do anything? I feed and change a baby. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that. You have time well, to do like that. And like people say, oh, <laughs> you know, have things on in the background and your baby will pick up the language. There's actually been studies that show that it's more about the intentional language, like direct communication with your child 
It's like actually talking to her and reading to her versus, oh, she's going to hear podcasts or TV in the background. She doesn't pick up as much language that way. Are you going to listen to this episode? I'm not sure. <laughs> ah. Because sometimes you sound a lot weirder when you listen to your recorded voice. And you're like, do I really talk like that? Do I really sound like that? Or do I make statements like a question? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I do. <laughs> Maybe I don't. <laughs> I'm not sure I want to know the answer. <laughs> Perfectly fair. <laughs> he never listens to any of it. We actually did a interesting fact at one point about why people don't like listening to themselves hmm. on a recording. And for some reason, it doesn't affect me. <laughs> Look at you. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Alrighty. So what are some of your favorite moments growing up together? I mean, I remember we were very imaginative and creative and I have distinct memories of playing in your room when you had the bunk beds and we turned it into like this time machine and we would like hang blankets down around the bottom and then make like a pit of stuffed animals at the bottom. And then like, we wouldn't jump off the top, but we would like roll off of the bottom bunk into this pit of animals. And somehow it was like a time machine. And we were like on Carmen San Diego trying to catch Vic the Slick. <laughs> put him in jail. <laughs> I have clear memories of things like that. <laughs> <laughs> that is adorable. And I love it. So I remember like when we were little, you used to love to chase me around around the couches and everything. Oh. Like, especially we'd be dressed up in our Halloween costumes. So mm -hmm. I was a Jaguar and yes. you were a cheetah. Okay. Yes. And that was always really fun. And then I also remember after we'd grown up a bit and the two of us were in the same class at Whitworth. <laughs> and I remember really enjoying seeing you as a peer as opposed to just a little sister. Aww. And that meant a lot to me. And it was a really fun period of our relationship, you know, seeing that evolve, you know, the two of us studying for tests together, yeah. you know, editing each other's papers. Well, and it was especially fun because I had the upper hand because I had already had a class with that really hard professor. <laughs> He knew me already. He liked you. <laughs> he liked me. He actually asked me to be a TA for his class that I hadn't taken yet. Because he didn't realize and had forgotten that I hadn't taken it yet. But I consider that a very high compliment coming from Doug Sagano. Yes. He was a good teacher. And I think a lot of students didn't realize just how much he cared. Yeah. <laughs> I think one of my favorite memories of you actually was you making the not so happy bachelor party that I had be very much better. And I, don't I don't know, know how I made that better. I didn't yeah, do anything. <laughs> you did. They decided to play Cards Against Humanity. I remember that. And you said something, and I'm not going to repeat it because there are little ears here, because it's one of the cards. Oh, uh-huh. I read it verbatim. You read it verbatim. <laughs> and I looked at you and I'm like, Anna, I've never heard you say that before. But the card said something, something sorcerer. And you looked at me and you're like, you know... I don't think I've ever said sorcerer before either. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then I called Will and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like the very, very first time where I can just like direct line from the two of you. Oh. <laughs> See that we really are related. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, without prompting, 
I said, huh, I don't think she's ever said sorcerer either. (laughs) (laughs) It was very amusing. And uh, that was just one of those great little bits of synergy where. (laughs) Next question. What is your favorite movie? That's really hard to answer. I mean, I always like Elf. I really enjoy Up because there's just so many layers and it's so beautiful. And maybe also because I convinced my office to do that for our Halloween theme two years ago. And so we decorated the entire office. Like we made a giant balloon cloud and my coworker made this like six foot five tall figurine of Kevin on a mic stand that like, it looked amazing. And I dressed up as Doug. It was such a good production. Like we had a massive balloon cloud and a cardboard house that we put in front of the desk and our office won the campus wide competition. So that makes extra fond memories of up. Yeah. I don't know. That's a really hard one to answer. It's a good answer though. I'll just have to stick with those. All right. Next question. Cherries or raspberries? Both. Are we just weird? No. (laughs) You can be honest there. I'm thinking. (laughs) I like both of the natural fruits. Mm -hmm. If things are flavored as something, I tend to like raspberry flavored things more than cherry flavored things. Because cherry flavored things taste more like nasty cough syrup. Yes. Or that's just like the association I have with it. So I think artificial raspberry tastes better than artificial cherry. But in natural form, I think they're both equally good. I don't like raspberries like the actual raspberries, though. But blue raspberry doesn't actually taste like raspberry. No. But I don't mind that. (laughs) So next question. Do you have any board game recommendations? I mean, Rolando and I really love Pandemic still. Okay. We played it a lot before the pandemic. And then when the pandemic hit, I was like, I need to take a pause right now. It's just a little too much. We're at the point where we were back to it. And it's actually kind of neat because it makes so much more sense in context of what we know. As you learn about like the details of how they like develop the game. And it also makes you realize how much thought went into developing the game and how it's made. Yeah, now that we're more aware of epidemiology. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I will also say that there is a difference in terms of people who have played Pandemic, the board game, are much more willing to take steps to be cautious (laughs) about actual pandemics. (sighs) Yeah. All right. So are you a cat person or a dog person? Woof. (laughs) (laughs) I can't betray my Benny boy. And Ava Lee's. One of her first words is pup pup. So (laughs) other than mama and dada, it's pup pup. (laughs) That is so sweet. Yeah. What do you think, babes? Aw, for those who can't see this because this is a podcast and not a video, she just went and looked toward where the pup pup should be. And pointed. And pointed. Are you going to give your answer? Pup 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 pup. I have this effect on people. As soon as I (laughs) want them to tell me something or dogs to bark, they don't. They don't. You see a pup pup? 
I think that Ava Lee is also a dog person. <laughs> it's a safe assumption. You've only really met Lila. You haven't interacted with Sokka. What do you think of Lila? I remember her being sweet, petable, snuggable. She would probably sit there and, and lick your child's head if she was <laughs> present right now. Yep. And Ava Lee was sitting still long enough. No, I don't think that she'd actually care if Ava Lee was sitting still or not. She'd probably just chase your child down. <laughs> Yelp. I think that's it. I really do, too. Thank you so very much. Thank you for having us. You two were great interview subjects. Okay. Yes, you were. Do you have any closing words, Ava Lee? Her closing words are, I want to get spit on the phone. I want to touch the screen. Yep. <laughs> Oh, we little slime monster. Hey, Maggie. Hi. Yeah. Who's a good girl? That's your first question. Who's a good girl? Huh? Good girl. Do you have any game recommendations for us? This next segment was recorded while I was in Georgia. All right, so we are here with an interview with my family and assorted family friends. So I have with us Candace, Larry, Celeste, Mary, and then Larry's daughter, Anna. And so we're going to do the uh, mailbag questions here and see how it goes. So first one, <laughs> to the group as a whole, what are stories that you grew up with that shaped who you are today? Uh, my grandfather told a story about riding on horseback. That's Larry. And a mountain lion jumping out of a tree as he rode by. The scratch was left on the saddle and he told the story about how he narrowly escaped but how uh, wild that was. And I always thought that was pretty amazing. And then he also had a quartz ashtray. And on the bottom, it says, to my friend Tommy Daniel, signed Pancho Villa. But <laughs> I didn't know it at the time. But he used to fight uh, game roosters. And that was all a part of my early childhood, like my granddad could spin some stories. Yeah, those are some of my stories as well. And that's Anna. <laughs> Gosh, a story that shaped my life. That's Celeste. It could be a story or a book. It, I'm up for whatever. I can tell one. That's Mary. Okay, go for it. So when I was in third grade, I had pneumonia and I was in bed for a long time. And it was at Christmas, and my mother read me Charles Dickens' The Christmas Carol. And I'll never forget that, because she would only read me a chapter a day. And then when it got to the ghosty part, I wanted her to read more. <laughs> and my mother knew I was getting better because I would demand her to read more. Oh, okay, I'm drawing a blank on this one, Will. Can we move on to another question? Okay, all right. Um, I have things that shape my life. But, you know, story. But as a child, move on to a young adult. As a young adult. As a young adult. What is 
one thing that you've been doing that you recommend other people give a try? Okay, I have something for that. Totally changing your life. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So I practiced law for many years, and then I became an artist and was probably a better lawyer than I'll ever be an artist, but just exploring something new that's really exciting. I got to say, you're probably a happier artist than you ever were a lawyer. Yeah, I'm not sure that's true. (laughs) What was the question? (laughs) What's a random thing that you would recommend? That I would recommend that other people would do? Yeah. Garden. I think people should grow things. (laughs) I do. It'll connect you with who you are. What is the last book you read that you would recommend people read? The Warmth of Other Suns by Isabella Wilkerson, because it's a story about the great migration from the South to the North and the Midwest and the West by African Americans over various periods of time. And what's fascinating about it is it covers periods of time that I lived through, and it gives me a totally different lens through which I can see my own life for the past decades. I read a book called The People of the Book by Geraldine Brooks. That's Candace. And it was an amazing journey through time. And the book itself is gorgeous and multi-dimensional in that it has pictorial representations of things and it spans a number of decades, centuries, and cultures. Because the book is actually a sacred book of the Islam religion. And so it is really fascinating to read. People of the book. People of the book, okay. The first book that came to mind was a book called A Thousand Splendid Sons. And if you'd ever heard of The Kite Runner, it's the same author. And simply put, I remember it being one of my favorite books and one that I would read time and time again. So if you have time to read a book, I'd recommend A Thousand Splendid Songs. You have one, Mary? I have two. So the first one is nonfiction, and it's called The Mind of the Raven. And it is about a man who studied ravens, and he helps you understand the intelligence of other species. So I really enjoyed that one. And it's easy read and it's very entertaining because these birds are crazy. They do crazy things. The second one is fiction and it's called Mr. Split Foot. And it's about three generations of women, a grandmother, a mother, and a daughter, and how their lives and the actions that they took as young women were all connected and things that happened in their life were really connected back to things that their relatives had done. And it was interesting. Cool. The last book I read is The Heart of Fielding. I'm not quite done with it yet, but about this baseball player who was pitching in college and ended up killing somebody. It's a very complicated twist and how it psychologically influenced him as many more. Fiction or nonfiction? Uh, fiction. Yeah. 
All right, so switching. Can I add another book? Yes, you can. <laughs> of course. <laughs> the, uh, there are very few books in my life that I have ever felt like going back and reading a second time. But the one that comes to mind in that sense is Watership Down. <laughs> it's a classic. It's a classic. It's really fun to read. All right, so we're going to shift gears here a little bit. We are going to ask a fairly off-topic question. What is your favorite board game that you would recommend people play? Scrabble. Scrabble. Cribbage. Chess. There's no shame, Mary. (laughs) (laughs) There are no wrong answers. (laughs) I don't like to play games, but if I play, (laughs) but when I do play, (laughs) I like to play. Monopoly! (laughs) Yeah, we actually answered a question about Monopoly earlier on. And and the the question someone had asked is what was the most overrated board game and the most underrated board game? And my answer is that Monopoly is both. Both. It is both underrated and overrated because it is ridiculously popular, perhaps more so than its rule set would Mm. demand. But people end up hating it because all of the house rules that people add on make it just this great <laughs> and never-ending slog. Right. If you play it with the rules as written, it's actually fairly quick because it's meant to be an exercise in just how stupid capitalism is. <laughs> and, hey, look, you're going to go bankrupt sooner or later and it's going to be no fault of your own. And right. there you go. Someone's no jackpot. Right. Someone will get lucky, someone will not. Yeah, because there's no jackpot rule in a right. regular rules. Right. Mm-hmm. But the good thing about Monopoly is that you can play it with little children and be on teams. And well, Team Monopoly is really fun. Team Monopoly is very... House rules. It's very cruel. <laughs> yes. <laughs> If there are three against one. Yes. No, there's never three against Usually one. two against it's one in two our against. household. <laughs> two against one. Me and Elise. Against Ansel. I think I remember some of these games that got uh, rather cutthroat. <laughs> <laughs> That's a perfectly fair assessment there. Okay, so this is going to be another complete switch up here. So if you were a ghost and you could haunt one person for the rest of their natural lives, who are they and what would you do? Do we get to think about this? Yeah. Hmm. We can edit out your thinking time. Okay. <laughs> if I was a ghost, who would I haunt? And how? And how? Mm-hmm. Would I or, haunt them? Yeah, what would you do? Yeah. What would I do? <laughs> My immediate response is my sister's ex-boyfriend. <laughs> and what would I do? Oh, that's another question. Uh, you pinch him. Yeah. Something like that. Oh, I would change yeah. every sports channel he was watching and make it go to Just the Hallmark the Network. <laughs> yeah. Every time we put on a sports show, we go to Hallmark. Or to the cooking channel. He did love sports. Yeah. Yeah. If um, you were a ghost, yeah. how would you? Yeah, my answer is probably way too political. 
<laughs> and the person I would haunt is someone everyone knows. Mm. Yeah, we'll, we'll just leave it at that. I mean, I'll also point out that haunting could also be a benevolent Casper the Ghost situation. Yeah, not like, this one. Not this one. <laughs> I'm going to say it doesn't have to be strictly malevolent. You don't have fact to that... play this one, but I'm just saying this one immediately came to my mind. You can edit it out. It's way too topical. Well, I mean, you're the ghost fan. Well, I have to say, if I was a little ghost, I would haunt Stephen King. <laughs> in total revenge yeah. for every nightmare he ever gave me okay and then he'd just write a book about it yeah. I would love he write a book about me <laughs> and I would appear to him you know a little woman dressed in white and he could write a story about me <laughs> you'll give him nightmares that will make give other people nightmares <laughs> <That's right. laughs> and then you'll ask that he give you royalties <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. Man's prolific. Isn't he? I bet you he gets haunted all the time. He's like, well, making a mine out of this one. That's, that's right. <laughs> he seeks it out. Well, then, we yep. just give him what he wants. There you go. A symbiotic relationship. All right. So final question. If you could ask one question to any person living or dead, what would it be? Hmm. Living or dead? Yes. The entire astral plane mm. is at your feet. Wow. Okay, I have one. Okay. I would want to ask President Obama what his first action item was in being elected president. Mm. That's a hard question, Will. We should have had that one in advance. Mm. Yeah, that, what popped in my head was Gandhi. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you do it? How did you do that? That nonviolence, non-resistant. Hmm. Well, what's your answer, Will? I don't know. That's why I'm asking you folks. <laughs> <laughs> I ask the questions here. <laughs> I'm thinking. Mary, to Stephen King, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> My question to Stephen. <laughs> Steve. <laughs> Why don't you give me free books? <laughs> this is a good question. I think I would probably ask the Buddha something. And what would it be? I would say, Buddha, how did you leave all that behind and do what you did? What ran through your mind to even start that journey? It's a good question. So I would like to ask Martin Luther King Jr. after death, what would you have done differently that might have changed where we are today? Knowing what we know. Knowing what we know now, what, what perhaps you've observed from the stratosphere, what would you have done differently? That's a hard question. So we can take a abrupt left turn here and ask perhaps the hardest question of the night. No, that was oh, the last good. one. I just said that was the last one. Okay. Bonus round. Bonus <laughs> round. Okay. Would you rather have a puppy-sized elephant or an elephant-sized puppy? Oh my gosh. A puppy-sized little elephant. Oh, a tiny yeah. elephant. That's the one I would go with, yeah. Or a giant 
puppy. Yes, elephant size, yes. Uh, but a real puppy, like, yeah. like Pippin. Yeah. A giant Pippin. That's what you want? No, I'm just asking, that's yes. what you mean. Yes, like Pippin, but giant size. But, giant but size. elephant size. <laughs> You have to go with a miniature elephant. <laughs> a puppy-sized elephant, because when you asked about the book in the first instance, I was tempted to say Stuart Little. It <laughs> <laughs> um, kind of makes me think about Stuart Little. Little elephant in a little matchbox that has a little boat. That's that a little, goes, little smaller you know, than puppy size. Well, yeah, but, you know, by elephant standards. Well, that's a hard one, Layla. When you think about the logistics of it, it's hard. <laughs> but if you just think about what you want, <laughs> it would be the biggest puppy on earth. Think about what your puppy does on a daily basis. No, I'm saying put logistics aside. Yeah, 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 but I'm saying no, like, put logistics aside. <laughs> I'm just imagining property damage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, he doesn't necessarily have to live at our house. He could live in a big place. <laughs> you know, there are people that get elephants and put them in barns. So I can have a big puppy. Big puppy barn. A big puppy barn. Let's just hope he doesn't treat you the same way Pippin treats you. Like he just sits down and won't move. <laughs> or like when you're trying to do your exercises. And <laughs> All right. So I think that wraps up our recording session here. Thank you very much, everyone, for participating. Yay! It was a lot of fun. Next, I was fortunate enough to sit down with my 94-year-old grandpa. He's my personal Phronimos, as his gentle, compassionate nature models the ideal that I set for myself and strive to achieve every day. Just doing an interview here with my grandfather, Jack, Ooh. one of my dearest friends and uh, most cherished family members. So for this special interview, I thought we would talk a bit about the stories that shaped your life. And these can be books, they can be stories that were told and passed down through the family, they can be lived experiences. I'm just curious, what are the stories that really shaped your worldview? Oh, never have thought of it. <laughs> I was born in a Christian home and was raised in the church. And as I was growing up, one of the Saddest thing that happened to me was if I couldn't get to go to church on Sunday morning or Sunday school. I always looked forward to it. Grew up on a chicken farm. That was interesting. Always was taught that you never do any unnecessary work on Sunday. But the chicken didn't know much about that. <laughs> they wanted to be fed. Eggs had to be gathered. And since Monday morning was market day. The eggs had to be crated up on Sunday evening. And one of my great memories was fishing with my daddy. My daddy rarely did anything without including me with him. If he couldn't take me, he didn't go. 
in a lot of times. I guess he's still about the best man I ever knew. Highly admired him and enjoyed working with him. We could work together all day and had no need to carry on a lot of conversation because most of what I knew he knew and what he knew I knew because we'd been together so much. We built chicken houses together and always was on the farm. So one of the things that Phoenix and I talk about a lot on our podcast is the way that stories shape us. And you, know, you were a preacher for many years in the Methodist church. I'm curious which of the parables you felt really resonated with you and really was convicting for you in a way that guided your life. Oh, I don't know. I was familiar with most of them <laughs> and got along with them. I don't remember concentrating on any one particular parable. Did you have a favorite? The teachings of Jesus in general. I spent a lot of time with the New Testament. And once or twice, I set out on the task of going to read the Bible through from Genesis to Revelation. I don't recall ever having completed that task at one time. <laughs> uh, though I was, had some degree of familiarity with, with the whole, knew something of the nature of most of the books of the Bible. And knew where to turn to where I needed. What stories brought you comfort? Oh, prodigal son. Regardless of how far away he ventured from home, his father was always looking for him back and welcomed him when he saw him coming, recognized him from afar, the way he walked and so forth. Given that you had such a close relationship with your dad, I'm sure that was a very comforting feeling, right? Yeah, it was. And we could work all day. I think I mentioned this already, that we didn't carry on a lot of conversation, but just joy to be together. He started carrying me with him when I was still in diapers. We made two trips a week to Jacksonville to deliver eggs and get a load of feed. And he would carry me with him on those trips to Jacksonville. Jacksonville was 50 miles away. It was the market for the eggs and the source of several feed mills. But he came back with a truckload of feed, 100 pound bags of feed twice a week. It says something that he from a very early age, considered you an equal and a contemporary, that he wanted to have you with him, that he could include you in everything. Yeah. He always, and if he went fishing, he carried me. And as soon as I was big enough to be safe in the woods with him hunting, he carried me with him when he went hunting. And I always enjoyed that. He always had a pack of dogs, deer hounds, and I considered them mine as much as his. I had a collie dog as a pet. On my eighth birthday, they gave me a collie pup, and he was my constant companion as long as he lived. 
But uh, if I went to church, he would wait on the front steps of the church till I came back out. He never rarely went inside the church. He would go in the house at home, but not in the church. He knew he didn't belong there. But he was my constant companion. You know, I've heard you talk very fondly of your youth, especially your dad and your mom. I know also that your mom had a bit of a prankster spirit to her. (laughs) Why don't you tell us some of your favorite memories of her mischief? Oh, I don't know. I wasn't ever aware of her being mischievous. But she had a great sense of humor, enjoyed the story, and just enjoyed living. She was a master homekeeper, cook, and her meals were always very, very good. I don't remember her ever serving anything that I didn't like. Yeah, I remember Dad used to talk about how his grandma made the best cakes and it was better than anything that could ever be made from a store-bought mix or whatever. And, oh, yeah. And then uh, I remember great-grand heard about this and then decided to <laughs> teach him a lesson. And so she made a cake for him and he again started bragging about how his grandmother could make the best cakes and she didn't need a box to make it wonderful. And then just as he was getting really high and mighty about all of this, she she brought out the box that she used to make it. <laughs> hey, she made one of the best pound cakes anybody knew. That was her specialty was a pound cake. I know. Uh, Dad always loved that and he passed that on to us. Yeah. So what's a practice that you've taken to that you find has enriched your life? I think daily reading of devotional materials. I always have a a daily devotional book, Discipleship. It has a reading for every day of the year, a scripture passage, and a commentary on that passage. What's the most recent book that you've read? I'm in the process of reading this book, Mozart Starling. It's about this bird. A starling is a bird. A starling has, a, according to this book, has a tremendous capacity to imitate all kinds of sounds, including the human voice, and reports at one place where the starling actually made a sentence, come here, with the proper time, as if he knew what it meant. Not just a syntactical, but a semantic understanding of the language. Yeah, yeah. And the starling spent a great deal of time perched on his shoulder, always. Him in this case meaning Mozart, the composer? Yeah, Mozart, the composer. Interesting. Yeah. And sometimes there's a question whether Mozart included a song of the starling in his compositions or the starling picked up on his composition and sang it. Could be a little of both. Probably probably was. Yeah, I'm always fascinated by how birds can learn and adapt to new survival needs whether it's through mimicry or finding 
new food sources, new hunting techniques, and then passing those on to their offspring yeah. very quickly. So new behaviors can spread quite rapidly throughout yeah. a flock of birds. Huh. That's really cool. And one of the interesting things, the brown thrasher is as good a mockingbird as the mockingbird. He can mimic any sound as well as the mockingbird can. Interesting. Let's see, I'm trying to think of what a good next question is going to be here. So one thing that we often talk about on our podcast is the concept of a frenemos. That's a term that Aristotle coined to describe a practically wise person. And that was how you were supposed to figure out what to do and how to live your life, basically following in an example that you observed. Would you say that your father was a frenemos for you? Probably so. Are there any others that you found? I had a very close relationship with my maternal grandfather. He and I were always big buddies. He was a big hunter. And as soon as I was old enough, I went with him. What did he teach you? What did he teach me? He taught me how to live. Taught me that honesty is the best policy. Always faithful, dependable, and always enjoyed a good story or a joke. He was a great person. We're getting close to time here, so I'm going to wrap things up with a, a light one. You're famous for telling great jokes. What is your favorite joke? I don't have a favorite joke. It, whatever seems appropriate at the time. <laughs> Can't force it. And it has to be relevant to what something's going on. And sometimes a situation brings up a memory that brings up a, a joke I hadn't thought of in years. Well, I know that uh, you always made my dad laugh and my aunts laugh and always made me laugh as a kid. And that was something that I always really cherished. So, well... well. If you couldn't laugh about it, it wasn't worth doing. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me and share your thoughts and some of your life stories and reminiscences. It's been a real honor to share that. And yeah. I think it'll be something that our listeners find enriching. Yeah. Thank well, you. Thank you for listening to our special mailbag episode of Tales from the Waystone. Please join us in two weeks for our next episode that we, quite frankly, have no idea what we're reading for. We just know it comes after episode 10. 10? I think 10. We're on vacation. Sorry, guys. We would like to thank our friend Shawnee Jang for our theme music. And many thanks to our listeners for giving us these wonderful topics to explore. Audio production and editing, courtesy of me, Phoenix McCullough. Writing and project management, courtesy of me, Will McCullough. If you would like to help support us and or ask us questions on our Patreon, you may find us at patreon.com slash waystonepod, where you can also find early access to the podcast, Patreon-exclusive bonus pods, and other exciting items. And as always, here's to one more day above the roses. To one more day above the roses. Ding! Ding.
So our first set of questions here comes from Kyle Fox, who is one of our patrons. Patrons? It's like a, it's like a robot that gives you money. <laughs> <laughs> Patron. <laughs> For the 23rd century. <laughs> Do you want me to restart that? I would love it if you actually... <laughs> you can keep that as an outtake. I probably will. <laughs> 